Good morning. We are continuing to make our way through someone else's mail. We have Paul's letter to the church in Philippi. This is a letter from prison. Now, Philippians, Philippi is in present-day Greece. Philippians really is a beautiful epistle um, full of some wonderful wisdom of, uh, for the church and for individuals. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me is one of the most beloved verses in that letter. Paul happens to open his letter with thanksgiving with one of my favorite passages where he writes to the church, I thank my God every time I remember you. Constantly praying with joy and every one of my prayers for all of you because you're sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. I love chapter 1 of Philippians. He speaks of gratitude. He speaks of God's goodness. He tells the church to live lives worthy of the gospel. And then in chapter 2, he begins to go a little bit deeper, like last Sunday's message where he asked the church to seek unity to have compassion, to serve, love others, be humble. He writes, let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus. He says, look, let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And now, after all this wisdom he shares with the church, in the very middle of the letter, he switches to giving an itinerary, the details of comings and goings of two disciples, Timothy and Ephroditus. Now, nobody is quoting this passage. Nobody, there even really isn't a lot of sermons written about this particular passage. A lot of people could just skip right on over till Paul gets back to doing some of his preaching here. But I happen to think this is a really important section of Philippians. In fact, I wonder, why do you think Paul put this itinerary, these details, in the very middle of his letter. Why did he put it here? And I'm going to read that passage. It's from Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I invite you to read along with me. I'm going to read 11 verses. He writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Christ, Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know, how like a son with a father he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope therefore to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will also come soon. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Aphroditus, my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, so that I would not have one sorrow after another." I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice to see him again, and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy, and honor such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up the, for those services that you could not give me. 
So we know that Paul delivers this letter to be delivered to the church by Ephroditus, and after the church had sent him to go visit Paul while he was awaiting trial by the Roman government. This is the only time we hear about Ephroditus, and granted, I just want everyone to give me a disclaimer here. I am going to butcher his name over and over. It does not get easier the more you say it. So um, Ephroditus, he traveled a long way. He brought a gift on behalf of the church. We really don't know what the gift was. I wish Paul had mentioned it. Was it food? Was it a blanket? Was it a good attorney in his time of need? We don't really know. But Paul was clearly moved by the church's generosity here, that they would care for him in their time of need. And Aphroditus had even gotten sick. He had almost died. That's why Paul thinks he should go home soon so that everybody could stop worrying about him. And then there's Timothy, who's been right there with him in the midst of all these missionary journeys. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Timothy has seen it all. He himself has been to jail. We know that he was with Paul in Philippi and Thessalonica and Berea and Corinth and Ephesus. He had even spent time throughout, uh, been persecuted. He's been through it all. So back to my questions. Why this itinerary in the middle of the letter? Why did he insert this? Why did he stop all his preaching and talk about these two details of comings and goings now? I think he does that because all the stuff he had mentioned earlier, all about living lives worthy of the gospel, all those talk about being selfless and sacrificing and humble and serving and compassionate, these are two disciples who are living it. They are not just talking a good talk, they are walking the walk. Paul, who was there for the church, is humbled that the church is now there for him. Now, as I was working on my sermon this week, I couldn't help but think of the theme song from Golden Girls, Thank You for Being a Friend. I'm not going to break out into the song, although I did consider it today. But, you know, if you threw a party, invited everyone you knew. I know this is really dating me here, but um, I, the Christian life, the Christian life of faith, it needs other people. You certainly can meet God on a solitary walk in the woods, but our faith has always been meant to be lived out in community, the body of Christ, where two or three are gathered in his name to gather together to worship, to study, to pray, to learn from each other, to support each other, encourage each other, even challenge each other to grow in faith, to be the body of Christ in the world. We need each other. There's this famous, uh, well-known theologian quote from Karl Barth. He was a famous theologian. He was giving a lecture at a church in Chicago, and after the lecture, he was doing some question and answers, and someone stood up and asked this famous theologian if he believed that we would see our loved ones again in heaven. And he said, yes, I do, and those we hate. That's the thing. The gift of community is that it's so humbling sometimes, isn't it? We learn 
so many things from being together, even hard lessons, like God loves the ones we can't even manage to like some days. We need each other to learn from each other, to be encouraged and strengthened and challenges, to have someone else sing the songs of faith for you when you can't sing the words out loud. It's a van load of church folks that drive two hours just to show up and attend the funeral. It's what I see so often, the stack of cards from church members on hospital bed stands at the nursing home. It's God's love in the form of casseroles. It's prayers spoken on our behalf. It's hugs. It's teaching songs about Jesus to squirmy kids and endless supply of chicken nuggets on Wednesday nights. It's a closing circle of prayers by the youth who share prayers often of burdens too young for their young lives, but yet the space and love shared among them. It's a teenager that never fails to hold up the pickup line outside the gym on Wednesday nights because he has to personally say goodbye to all his buddies at church. The body of Christ. The body of Christ at work in the world. As Paul writes this letter from prison, he is acutely aware of this, the importance of the body of Christ. He's moved with gratitude for the church in Philippi that they would sacrifice some of their own to bring this gift that, uh, that epi, ep, oh, here we go again, epi, I'll call him epi, I'm sorry, sir, sorry, would travel all that way just to see him, that Timothy would be there beside him through when the goings got rough. And before I start another theme song, this one is from Friends that's been going through my head, I hope you will take a moment today. Who are those people in your life? Who are those people who have shown up for you, especially when you didn't expect it? The ones who have looked out for you, the ones who tell you the truth when it's hard to hear, the ones who pray for you, encourage you, believe in you, show up for you. Who are those people in your own life? I hope if you do anything this morning that you'll just take a moment to offer a silent prayer of gratitude for those people who have been there for you in your life. And if for a moment you do feel some pain at recognizing that maybe you didn't have those people in your life when you needed them, then don't forget that you can be that person for somebody else in your life. Ephrodotitis, Timothy, they were there for Paul. They loved and cared and supported him. They showed up for him. It's what friends do, right? It's what friends do. But it's also what disciples do. Like Paul said, to live a life worthy of the gospel. We serve because of the one who came to serve. We forgive because we have experienced his forgiveness. We have compassion because we've seen the compassion of Jesus Christ. And we love because he first loved us. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. In John's Gospel, as they gather to celebrate that Passover meal in the upper room on that fateful Thursday night, John's Gospel 
tells us that he washed the disciples' feet one by one. He served them all. He washed their feet. And then he says, I give you a new commandment to love one another as I have loved you. By this, they will know you are my disciples if you have love. And then he goes on to say, no one has greater love than this to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command you. I do not call you servants any longer because the servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. That's the thing about friendship, and maybe they didn't even realize it that night in the upper room, but it costs something of us to be a friend. It asks something of us. There's a line, a famous line, attributed to Teresa Avila. She was a Spanish nun from the 1500s, mystic really, and um, in her writings, uh, one particular day, she had been traveling to go help raise funds for an orphanage, and she was traveling by horseback, and it poured rain on her, and as she was traveling, she was crossing a creek and fell off her horse and fell into the creek. And that night, she wrote in her journal, Lord, if this is how you treat your friends, no wonder you have so few. Some days, we are the ones knocked off our high horses. We are the ones in need of a hand, anybody's hand, to help us get through. Thank God for the people in your life who have reached out a hand to you when you needed it. But the truth is, Truth is, all of us today, all of us this morning, could think of somebody right now who might just feel like life has left them in the ditch. What can we do? It's too much. It's too hard. We want to look the other way. We want to pretend we don't see them struggling. But the world needs more friends. The world needs more friends, like Ephroditus and Timothy. We need more friends. We need churches, like the church in Philippi, friends who stick their neck out, friends who get involved, friends who encourage, friends who pray, friends who show up, friends who will believe for you when you've lost your faith. We need friends willing to work to make a church who is a friend to all the world, a church that freely offers the bread of life, the cup of salvation in Jesus Christ, and keeps trying again and again and again to figure out how to be the body of Christ in the world. And why do we do it? Why do we do it? It's not because it's super fun. It's not because it's going to be easy or convenient. We do it because a friend needs us to. Amen.